I, I know because that's what I do to my wife all the time. Well, John, how are you doing? Hey, when do you get to make any uh, an announcements about changes in your life? We can do it now. Well, 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 tell us what has changed in your life, John. I'm getting a new job. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So you're Jeremy gonna be- wouldn't hire me. <laughs> I don't know why. He just doesn't think I have the skill set. But- <laughs> probably can't afford you. <laughs> we actually, we definitely can't <laughs> afford you. So, But Jeremy did mm. find me a new job, and I appreciate that. Oh, well. Well, he, Always glad to help. He introduced me to people who knew people right. who got me introduced to other people. No, yeah. I'm kidding. It's not that far removed. But it, it's, it's, it's a role that I've wanted for a long time. And it's funny because um, even though I just started with another company, it's, it's, it's another consulting company and I'm doing technical architecture work, uh, air quotes, loosely termed. Yeah. But um, I've always wanted to get into the ISV world, get into product development. I've It's just, it's just something I've always wanted to do. And... Jeremy introduced me to someone who uh, is going to give me that opportunity to do that, just that. So I'm really excited. I don't yeah. know what to say about it, but I'm. Really I think. Excited. I mean, I think. Yeah, like I said, like I, said I, I thought about it for a while, and this is a company that I've, you know, that I've um, worked with, kind of here and there, I guess, over the past six months or so. And I'd been thinking about, you know, I feel like John would be a good fit for this, but I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I just finally thought I, I need to introduce you to them, and. Because it is that product, it's it's a product, and it's something you can, you know, really sink your teeth into long term. Yeah. So you can, because on consulting, I mean, you, you it's not very often that you get to do things the way you think they should be done, and you're so constrained by timeline and budget, and right. you know the way that the salespeople paper the deal, and mm-hmm. it's just like nothing's right, and like you just you're having to live in all these, and there's always constraints. I don't mean to expect it. Right. But gonna, even, even if you're able to get do everything you want to do, eventually you roll off and it's someone else's responsibility. Oh, yeah. You yeah. don't get to really see it through or even, even you don't even get to plan for the future. You don't get to say, oh, I'm going to build it this way, but I know I'm going to refactor it here, 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 or scale it up here, here, and here. You don't get that opportunity. It's basically you build it and you're done because your, your, your scope yeah. is done. Do you ever go back to a project and you're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I, I don't know, I've seen so many times where I go back to a project and look at, look at what's happened to it and like, they didn't understand some of the abstractions, so they just like just <laughs> they just kind of discard them, or, or just now there's instead of like one you know a proper way of doing a certain thing, there's like six yes. different ways, and it's just yes, it came back to it, haunt the, me. It's the conceptual integrity of the whole design of the system, mm-hmm. and just over time, just gets chipped away at, chipped away at, chipped away at. It, it came back to haunt me at um, at uh, not Trailhead, uh, Texas Dreaming. <laughs> So, so a former colleague of mine who uh, attended Texas Dreaming <clears throat> went to one of my sessions and asked me, you know, if I was still, uh, still fond of of the level of abstraction that I had developed in the past. Now I remember what product, what project he was talking about, and I did have a lot of abstractions there, and that's because I'd planned to advance that. This it was a kind of a wizard tool, and I planned to advance it a little bit more beyond what it was. I just never got that opportunity. But the way I structured it, it ha- had quite a few levels of abstraction, probably more than it needed for the immediate requirements. But I was thinking about the future, or at least I thought I was thinking about the future. Uh, and I guess he was tasked with maintaining it, and it was a bit hard to understand without context for me, which he didn't have the luxury of because I had moved on. Did you have the uh, an, an abstract factory singleton instantiator something or another? <laughs> 
They called it the super factor. Man, I, I saw a great, I wish I would have, I don't remember what it was now. I wish I would have like pasted it into a note, but this, yeah, I think it was, I think it was in Java land. I'm sure it was, but it was, I don't know how long this class name was. It it had to be like, I don't know, 60 or 70 characters. But I, I looked at the name. I was like, this is ridiculous. This is what Java gets criticized for. Um, But then I looked at the name again. I'm like, well, I'll be damned if that name doesn't say exactly what this thing does. And I'm trying to think of a, what I would call this. It's a better name. <laughs> and I couldn't think of anything. I'm like, this is exactly what it is. I mean, yeah. I don't know what to say. Sorry, Ruby people. We, you know, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I, I, I think one, that's a good example of a time where I thought I was being really clever and maybe I wasn't as clever as I thought I was. Someone else coming in to look at it without context they probably didn't see the value in all the abstractions that I had. And to them, it was like, why didn't you just do this directly or create this method in this class directly? Why is it abstracted into this interface? And why do you have this interface? And, you know, I, I, I get it to a certain extent. Again, a lot of that is <clears throat> these consulting gigs. I mean, you kind of have to, you have to kind of decide up front what the, you know, what the design, how the design, what the design is going to be composed of. What are the abstractions? Whereas the way I like to work myself into abstractions is by going kind of light on abstractions, more just concrete, you know, development. And then as I see, as I'm seeing the system develop it and writing tests against it and running it and stuff, then I'll start to see, you, you start to see abstractions that want to come out. And sure. And especially after you've maybe repeated the same t thing two or three times, or you're seeing how like maybe you've got some service or repository that, that, it's being called by various different things, and you, you're seeing how they're wanting to use it. That's when you can really d develop abstractions that that are a little bit more well founded. So, I agree with that. I think um, this particular project, the reason for the abstractions up front was because it was a highly configurable system. However, mm. I don't think I was given the Which luxury of, of documenting how to configure it the proper way. Oh. So it was just kind of lost. So there was all these tables that that controlled how the code worked and it was abstracted well enough to, to accommodate a lot of different scenarios. However, no one knew what was that hard to test. Were. Was that hard to test? Oh God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like it would be difficult. Is this a, a Salesforce platform yes. thing? Okay. Yes. A nightmare to test. Um, I basically did have to make some concessions if I remember correctly on the number of scenarios, because there was just so many different scenarios I could have covered, but I kind of covered the main ones that I thought would be the immediate needs. I didn't cover every single different scenario, but there was abstractions for, you know, you know, there was there's config that says, okay, here's a field set that tells you what fields to show here. And then I had I had to validate that. So now I had a schema util that would go out and validate which fields. Okay, that's fine. But now I uh, but then you added a field that existed on a parent object. You know, maybe it's a contact and you do account contact.account.name. Or you do a, a <laughs> worst case, you do contact.account.name parent account dot name, you know, something like that. So I had to build this, this whole utility that knew how to validate and traverse a, a hierarchy of metadata to validate that that field does indeed exist because it, on the code side, it's just text. Um, what is the, um, what's the rule called in like software engineering? I, yeah, the name escapes me. I'll think of it like, since we're done recording. But it's basically that uh, you can't, you know, like you say, like something dot something. That's as far as you can go. It's it's the it's really the ask don't tell principle. Mm -hmm. Like you know, uh, and, and I think it's an object. It's it's got to be an object oriented thing. It's not Yagni. It's uh, 
Oh my gosh. Who said nude modeling? Did I say nude modeling? I think I, I, think I did. I was talking <laughs> about Jay's new career. <laughs> oh, what is it? Somebody help me. Anyway. Yeah, that's, that's one of the problems with, um, I guess, some of the Salesforce stuff you get out of the box is these relationships. Mm-hmm. Oh, the law, of, the law of Demeter, or Demeter, how do you reset? Law of D-E-M-E-T-E-R. Let's, let's read this. It's a principle of least knowledge. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, again, uh, in, any, any given code shouldn't have too much knowledge about the things it's working with. If, it's, if things are properly abstracted, then you, you tell a thing to go do something. You don't do it for it or tell it how to do it. True, but it, there's a balance to that. You can't there subscribe is, to that and say, the, 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 I'm going to start this no. project off and it's, nothing's going to know about anything. It's all going to be abstracted and there's going to be some kind of... Uh, there's a balance to all these yeah. things. The, the key is with most of these principles is to... You're, you're going to violate them to, to some degree or another. The yeah. question is knowing you're violating and, and knowing why and being okay with that. The law might disagree, but yeah, sure. <laughs> well, they're, yeah, they're, and it's called law. I've heard people say that it shouldn't be called a law. It should be called like a guide. Mm-hmm. But, and also like when you're working with data structures, that's different than object-oriented code. And if you're saying, you know, contact.account.parent.whatever, I mean, that's data. That's not, this is not, this is not. Um, Logic? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not, it's not really code, so to speak. Programming code. Anyway, well, John, what's on our docket for this week? Um, I actually have a quick piece of follow-up. Okay. The nice folks at Blue Canvas, uh, which is one of these, um, I don't know, continuous integration slash deployment things for Salesforce. It's meant to, to sit within that, yeah. Yeah, that could be wrong. <clears throat> um, but they reached out and said, uh, hey, um, that Permageddon document, that Google doc that was being maintained that you were talking about, yeah, that was us. Oh. So they were doing that. So Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. That was a nice thing to do. Nice little service to the community there. I got, I got to tell you, I mean, the tool is, it's not meant to be an advertisement, but I have been using it lately. Blue Canvas? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Did I didn't I tell you, you that? No. Oh, yeah, I've been using it. Okay. They um, <laughs> they reached out to us, like a, I think I ran into them at, at, I don't know if it was Trailhead or Dreamforce years ago. Okay. But they, you know, they... A couple of times they reached out and said, hey, you know, we'd love to... Well, I know we ran into and talked to the gear set guys. I don't remember talking to Blue Canvas. That must have been more recent. I, I don't think you were there. Okay. So did, did I think it was one of the years that I went to Trailhead that you didn't. Okay. Last year? But I ran this into them. Was it, no, it must have been the year before last. Okay. Yeah, because you went last year. Yeah. But then they just said... I actually think they just wanted me to look around and you know, look at it and play with it and, and see what I thought. These tools are nice. I mean, they they solve the problems that they can solve, and they try to shiv <laughs> where they can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so far they can go with support of the metadata and the tooling, but for what it does, it it does a really good job, and it does simplify the process quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, the ability just to compare different orgs, both full metadata, at least what metadata is supported, and code, and things like that. And just the even just the factor of monitoring what changes are happening because you can just go in and see what changes are yep. happening in an org, yep. and just go, who is making these changes? <laughs> yeah, which we've we've sat and had Stop conversations changing going. Production. Who's making changes in production? <laughs> yeah. There's a ton of changes. <laughs> yeah, now I've seen them do because um, back when I did a lot of um, really regular. Uh, I, I mean, I guess we were doing continuous integration, but we were doing. Plan, frequent but periodic deployments. Like, at least, like we really were. We're on a we're on a once a week plan. 
deployment-wise. But the tooling I was using, and most of it was, it was just all cobbled together, combination of open source stuff and, and stuff that I'd created that kind of glued these things together. But it would it would look at your source code, and then it would it was de- and what it was de- what all this tooling would do it was dependent on where you're deploying to. So basically, you say, okay, I want to deploy, and, and it required it required the whole like track all your source code, mm-hmm. or track all your metadata. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would say, haven't deployed this org, and the first thing it would do is it actually connect to that org and download all its metadata. And then it would do, it would compare your source code to the metadata of the org you're trying to deploy to and figure out what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Again, that's why this goes back to that. There's really no good build in the Salesforce world. You can only like, because we could, we couldn't do a single build anyway, because there's too much code. It was too, there's the, too much metadata. I had that conversation recently with a client who well, we were talking about the release cycle and we were very clear about how this is a very non-traditional release cycle because they were thinking, oh, it's a build. This build from dev overwrites the build and test and that build that's overwrites what the build Oh, you'd love that, right? Because yeah. well, that's, I mean, in, 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 again, in normal software engineering, yeah, you, once it builds, like goes through all the tests and is approved and everything, that's, that's, a, that's a gold build right there. Mm-hmm. That's an approved build. Right. And the exact bits are what gets deployed to production. Right. And that just doesn't work that way in Salesforce. But anyway, so it would, you know, it's looking at your target org, it's looking at your source code and saying, okay, you've added some classes, you've, um, you deleted a, uh, you know, you deleted something. Um, so it would report, it would support some levels of like renaming and refactoring things. Mm-hmm. There's, there's still all kinds of things where it, it's not going to, just refactoring is still so, so limited on what you can do. But it would build just a essentially like a diff, um, a diff deployment, and it would deploy just what was n- changed, or and it would also support deleted. So if you need, if it needed to delete some stuff, it would delete some stuff. Um, and so you end up with actually relatively small builds. So they were kind of fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that took by far the most time. I still don't understand why tests are so slow in the Salesforce world, but was running tests. I mean, hours. Yeah, and I think with these tooling, you can still run into issues if you don't deploy frequently. That's you my gotta, number one advice. Deploy, you get into deploy a frequency. often. And yes. if, if it's got to be agile or you got to call it a sprint, whatever you need to label it as, I don't care. But as soon as you have something, some working code, deploy that sucker. Because yeah. the longer you wait, the longer you wait for this entire module to get built or this entire feature to be built, the worse it's going to be. I have, I have orgs right now that have thousands and thousands of changes that I somehow have to comb through and figure out and merge because there's an overlap. And that's just made it that much more difficult. So definitely deploy often as yep. much as you can, especially if you have a tool like Blue Canvas or whatever gear set or whatever these tools. I was are. gonna say, I think I think I've seen that those tools do something similar. They can actually do a compare and then only deploy what needs to be deployed. They can, but you're you can still get yourself in trouble. You can still create oh, sure. this large object graph of just changes, destructive changes, and everything to the point where you can't effectively figure out what needs to be changed and what doesn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the more frequent you can do it, the smaller your list of uh, differences are, and the more effective you'll be at deploying and keeping everything in sync. I'll tell you what, this whiskey is warming me up. It like, is my ears are on fire, and these, oh. these huge cans in my ears don't help. It's not that. It's making me talk more. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. You get a little wordy. I do get wordy. Ah... Uh... Well, John, uh, have we got any any? Okay, so we 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 did that. We've got we're thirty minutes twenty twenty minutes in, and we've gotten through uh, one piece of <laughs> one very small piece of follow up. <laughs> it is the whiskey. Um, well, the, so the big news was the Tableau acquisition. Yeah. So we've got Which that. Is, <laughs> we've got. I know we've got some community stuff that yeah. um, we should get to. Well, let's talk about this Tableau thing. Let's talk about how Tableau <clears throat> only wanted stock. 
That's all they wanted. God, that was funny. They didn't want cash. And they I, didn't want to cash it on their shares. <laughs> no, they wanted more shares to to delay the their their you know uh, their liquidity. There we go. Yeah, I, th- I thought about playing some of those. Let me see if I can. I bet I can do this. Hang on, because I'm I'm that good, John. Live. Let's see. It took my breath away how brilliant go. it is. The one that? thing that you lacked, yeah. I felt, yeah, because you're very customer. Cashless, Jim. I don't know if you remember our quarter that we just announced last week, <laughs> but we had record cash flows, <laughs> and um, you know we, we've had phenomenal cash generation. Our business has done a great job in cash, but I have to be honest with you, Jim. Tableau didn't want our cash; what? they wanted our equity <laughs> Say because what? they know that the real value here is in the company that we're creating together. So, first of all, uh, you know the thing is, like, if you have cash, you could just buy how much ever sells for a stock you wanted, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody always wants cash. So anyway, yeah, that, that was, oh, yeah, whatever. That's, that's Benioff being Benioff. He, he likes to make some outrageous claims sometimes. It, it, it's a nice spin on it. And most, most, uh, most of the media and maybe analysts will buy it. Well, I don't know what no one buys. They'll it. No. buy it on the surface. They'll buy it on the surface so they can just say, yeah, no, they just, that's just what they wanted. So I, I do the thing where I, you know, I'd like to go through all the investor forums online and just read what all these guys have to say mm-hmm. um, about all these about all these things. Um, yeah, no, no one, no one was buying that at all. I mean, that wasn't meant to, that was, honestly, that was even, that's, that had to be facetious on Benioff's part. He knows no one's going to believe that. <laughs> you, know. you know what? He's going to get away with it, though. He's that charismatic about it. He's that trustworthy about it. People, people will just take it for face value. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's not like it's hurting anybody, but it, it's a white lie, right? It is. It's a, it's a white lie. It's not like we're trying to criticize or anything. It's it's everyone's playing the game here, essentially. Yeah. Um. But anyway, one thing I thought was interesting about this that I thought of immediately when I when it was announced was like it was because like, that was a couple of days after we were just talking about how Google bought um, Looker. Remember Looker? Was mm-hmm. it Looker? Is that right? Looker. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, they went out for some stakes and hookers and got a looker. You know, and I, I, I wish I knew a little bit more about looker to know. I, I think they're more hardcore, like uh, and really more even more than Tableau, more hardcore an- analytics of data. Not like, I mean, I feel like, ta- and I could be, I could be cutting it short because I'm not any Tableau expert by any means. I've, mm. I've built some dashboards. I've actually done some integration with Tableau, but nothing major. Um, but to me, it's one of these things that it allows business people to slice and dice their data. And make pretty graphs and stuff. Well, if we were to list competitors, uh, Microsoft BI would be a competitor. Sure, Power BI. Yeah, yeah, Power BI. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm thinking. I, I don't. I don't feel like Looker was as much of a direct <laughs> lookers and hookers. <laughs> ah, chat room. <laughs> whatever live what do we call the the live slack you were too channel? busy talking i talked over you and said that oh you did so, okay yeah. i didn't even hear you it. didn't hear it no it i was you. busy listening to myself <laughs> talk um you know I, I, and i don't know how to what degree uh tableau was you know ha- i don't know what their ai story is I've, i did read somebody and uh if you read the hacker news comments these guys that are just have way too much time and are too smart um really broke down like tableau's AI technology and how it's like this previous generation that's not real great. Um, not enough that really matters. And that's and then it's also just beyond my capability to understand. But I guess I don't know, you mentioned Power BI. That's, that's one of the thoughts I have is you know, it gives you like, okay, why why did Salesforce buy this? Because they have remember Wave and Einstein, which became Einstein Analytics? I mean, huge deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um I, I you don't hear 
it, it's it's almost like it's almost like I don't, I'm trying to think of an analogy like you know your your friends break up with their girlfriend or their wife and like then you just like or the, you know you don't mention someone's ex mm-hmm. you know just don't even the name does not come up right that's how I feel like Ansel Analytics is already like don't the first rule of Tableau acquisition is you don't talk about Einstein analytics <laughs> because it just didn't, it hasn't come up in any of the, any of the information. Um, I haven't, honestly, I mean, I've, I've read all the articles I think I could find and not one mention of, of just how this, how would it affect Einstein analytics? Does it complement it? Anyway, we can get into that, but I, th- I thought, okay, this is a, this is a, this is three times bigger than any acquisition Salesforce has done, which was, the one last year, MuleSoft, that was like $6 billion, And that was three times bigger than anyone they'd done before that. So this is, this is multiplying at an exponential ratio that is absolutely not sustainable, first of all. <laughs> because the next acquisition right? is when Salesforce gets acquired. Yeah. Because this cannot go on. Um, and of course, there's the question of, good God, why do they pay so much for this? Is that, did they, was Einstein Analytics that bad? Again, I, don't, I actually don't want to get to the Einstein Analytics part of this discussion yet. But, but what I want to get to is like, what were they seeing in the marketplace? They were certainly seeing something that they were not liking. And something that, again, you can't not mention, but something that Einstein Analytics just was, was not putting them in the right place. They must have gotten enough customer, I mean, real customer feedback that, hey, this... Because one thing Benny up to, in fact, talked about in that Kramer interview was he was up visiting one of their largest customers in Minnesota. I don't know who it was, 3M or something. Is 3M, is 3M Minnesota? Yeah, yeah, Minnesota. Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. Yep. The 3Ms. Um, the 3Ms. I was just talking about how they um, were, were just, you know, talking to Benioff about all the stuff they'd built and that they're, you know, deploying Tableau uh, along with this. You know, so it sounded like it was some massive rollout, like mm-hmm. maybe a new massive kind of enterprise-wide business transformation. Or no, sorry, is it di- no digital digital, digital transfer? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, there uh, you go. I botched it. <laughs> See, this, this is right, why. Man. This is why I can't do that. This is why you're not a journalist. You're a tech. Journalist. But Benioff's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Benioff's point, though, by saying that was that oh my gosh, this client's going to be so happy when I can tell them, when they hear the news, because he probably couldn't say anything, right? When, when they hear the news that we're buying Tableau, they're going to be, you know, <clears throat> overjoyed. Yeah. But my thought is, now wait a minute. My thought is, why weren't they deploying Einstein Analytics? Uh, I have a lot to say about all of this. Okay. <laughs> I'll say, uh, the reason I brought up uh, Microsoft Power BI, or just BI in general, because that's what I call it, is so many of my customers, big enterprise that I've interacted with, Throw a rock and you'll hit a Power BI. They just have it. They have oh, yeah. it. They're a Microsoft yep. shop. Yep. They have Microsoft servers. They've bought in and they have Power BI. So the fact that Tableau is a competitor gives Microsoft the ability to compete with Power BI where Einstein couldn't. Wait, wait. Microsoft the ability to compete with Power BI? No, no you're saying wrong words here. Salesforce say, can compete with Microsoft in. Power BI oh, okay. with Tableau. Yes. So it gives them the ability to compete. So. And my question was, really? Because, I mean, all I've been, I've been programmed. And, and maybe I'm, I'm already, I'm disappointed in myself that I've been, prog- I've been programmed that Einstein Analytics is this great solution. And I have an answer for that. <laughs> and that is the, the ability to analyze data is strictly filtering mechanisms, a few maybe minor statistical algorithms, but nothing that's true, truly on the level of Power BI in terms of 
that kind of level of value add. I mean, as essential with Power BI, you can click a button, it would do a bunch of st- statistical analysis, which they would label AI yeah. on top of it. That was some of the criticisms of, of Einstein anal- of, of Wave or Einstein Analytics, whatever it's called now, is that it didn't have those type of features. It did, it did allow you to store and comb- and store a lot of data. It did allow you to massage and manipulate that data, but it didn't have a lot of value-add algorithms on top of that to kind of do some of the, the statistical and. Anal- analytic work for you. And again, I'm talking on top of whiskey, so my words are going to be slurred. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say some of these technical terms because there's a lot of syllables. <laughs> but essentially, that was my take on it. When I was researching Einstein and trying to understand it and try to draw comparisons between that and Power BI, was that it was lacking a lot of these top-level or high-level algorithms that would do a lot of those analysis for you. Okay. So a lot of times, these admins for BI, they had... They had buttons or they had accelerators that would kind of go through and analyze a graph of data and do some of the work for them. So they can then further filter and analyze it for something that made sense for executives. And, you know, good points are being made in the in our live channel here, which is that I think Microsoft, Tableau, all these guys are still just light years behind. It's really this, this person, I don't know if they want to be mentioned. Uh, their initials are MM. You can probably figure that out. But m- light years behind, really, Oracle, Mickey and, I- Mouse? Oracle and IBM. Oh, I didn't know um, they had Mickey Mouse on the And if you look at who, you know, who was using Power BI, it's, it's my, it was Microsoft Shops. If you're looking at who was using Tableau, it was basically small and medium companies that weren't really a Microsoft Shop and definitely were not you know, embedded with Oracle or IBM. If you're with either of those, then it's, it's a more natural fit. They're, they're much more capable. They've uh, what was it? Business objects. Who bought business? Uh, yeah, business objects. Cognos. Um, Oracle has two or three. Uh, S base, and these are these are so con- these are so sophisticated. Such sophisticated solutions. I mean, uh, one of my neighbors is an S base developer, and they build entire basically like it's crazy these these BI applications they build. It's like this whole app. Sorry, it's this whole application development platform around BI. And it's really complex, and for for companies that have these really crazy needs, and, and also have enough data that even warrants the use of that. And ta- that's just not where Tableau was, in my opinion. For the Tableau implementations that I saw, they were much simpler dashboards. Great, I mean, usability is great, looks great, you know, all that stuff. And and I'm sure they've. Uh, it's been actually probably a few years since I've done anything with Tableau, so I'm sure they've added all kinds of, um, you know. Kind of AI type stuff to, mm-hmm. uh, but to, to what you know, I don't know how sophisticated or how actually valuable it was. Well, I mean, it, you take a company that who their entire focus was data analytics and data, data science, and you merge that with a company who was trying to get into that space who that wasn't a focus on. So, I mean that that in, that in itself is is just what ac- the acquisition purpose is. Yeah, I think is to gain that skill set to gain that that mindset. So, yeah. And I, I guess I think, I think a part of this is again, you know, call me uh, gullible, but I guess I didn't realize still how far behind even just Tableau Einstein analytics was. Well, sure. I mean, it was a, it was a ground up product. And, and that's if you needed that, something to I, kind of I boost guess it. It's been around for four years now, five years, four or five years. Yeah. But I mean, we talk all the time about how many distractions Salesforce has from a development Development perspective. No, they're throwing all of them out of the wall, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's I, it's tough to stay relevant in these days when you have so many products competing, so many startups competing. 
I mean, it, it, the R and D in itself is, is substantial. I would, I, would, I, I guess. Would think. And, and, you know, Salesforce definitely wants to provide like this whole complete platform that's got, right. you know, I mean, they draw like those, the little, they've got the, the, the slides, right. With the, um, the circle with all the points on it, you know, it's CRM, it's service, it's marketing, it's, um, it's analytics, it's intelligence, it's um, what, what am I leaving out? Uh, commerce, it's it's integration, right? They they want to have uh, everything on that circle. They want to have a dot for everything that someone might need uh, on that circle. Well, sure, and they want to be equivalent to Microsoft and equivalent to Oracle and all of those. Yeah, I guess, and it's and and some of those circles are a lot stronger than other other others. Sure, are. IoT, I guess, would be one of those. Um. And, you know, I guess Einstein analytics. I mean, to your point, it's, yes, four or five years old, but it's still, it's, it's, it's a baby. Yeah. And especially compared to, I mean, if Tableau was really worth 13 billion, or sorry, seven, 15, 16 billion dollars, then it must have been just much more advanced than Einstein analytics. And, and I suspect that, you know, Salesforce didn't intend on f- five years ago, they didn't intend that their ultimate thing was they're going to invest all this money in Einstein analytics, analytics, and then they're going to have to go buy a competitor to actually, Legitimize their BI offering. Well, I, 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 I mean, doubt that. I doubt that was their plan. Five years ago, maybe they couldn't, or maybe five years ago their perspective was different. Well, they could have. It just it would have cost about ten times less back then. <laughs> they probably <laughs> should have. I mean, if you could rewind the clock, surely you just would have bought Tableau back then because you probably could have got them for a billion dollars. Well, or I mean, maybe even you, you, you got to think about Salesforce's kind of origination and the fact that they're they they want to be that disruptor and they they want to continue to be the the disruptor. They they don't want to take something existing and just kind of incorporate it into the platform. They want to bring in things that are also disruptors. And I think Tableau is one of those. Well, the, that and the other big piece is uh, continuing to purchase revenue. Not sure. So Salesforce was able to take funny money, aka their investors' money, and dilute the living crap out of their investors to use that to buy Tableau. Salesforce is not out any cash in this $15.7 billion acquisition. They're out no cash whatsoever. Right. Which is kind of amazing. And the investors are like, oh, okay, go ahead. You know, <laughs> I think, I think I, I don't know if this is accurate because I think I saw this in a comment thread somewhere, but this acquisition diluted shareholders by 13%. Wow. Um, That's tough. Well, it's tough. The question, though, is like, what? If, if that Im- immediately or very quickly results in a net increase in shareholder value, then you're good with that. That's like, sure. you know, they're just their annual, you know, they basically take like, what is it? Um, I think it's several billion dollars from their shareholders shareholders as part of their comp plans. And the shareholders are like, well, I mean, my the stock keeps going up every year, so I'm okay with that trade-off. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's the long game. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's, it's not even... This isn't a day trader game with Salesforce. Right. It, it, yeah. You're in it for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's a deal, basically. Right. Now, this one hurts a lot more, obviously. And, and the stock took a you know almost a 10% hit. And in fact, even Salesforce came back and adjusted. They adjusted their... Right. Did you see that? Their yeah. projector, whatever, their, their expectations. Which is what... Were. Well, what analysts are saying officially dropped the stock price is the adjustment. No, well, yeah, it was the original, like, hey, this is going to hurt our profits by this much, right. basically our earnings per share. And then... It wasn't so much that... Wait, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think Salesforce expected the stock market to react so negatively. And that's... So Salesforce came back today, and I said, actually, it's, we, you know, we changed our mind. It's not going to be that. It's not going to be as bad as what we said it's going to be. <laughs> and now they have to figure out how to you make that true. I'll tell you what. I'm going to pull a little bit more from that deferred revenue. 
So, so it'll, it'll, it'll be a wash. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this is, um, you know, if you look at their, you know, sales cloud, some of their biggest businesses, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, Salesforce is their, what was the, their year over year growth dropped from, I think, 26% to 24%. Um, and they still are definitely wanting to be perceived as a, as a growth stock and as a, as a growth company because they have not, they have, you know, they've, they, they, just, they haven't decided to take their foot off that pedal mm-hmm. of, of growth, knowing that, you know, as long as, as long as their investors are okay with them doing that, they're going to keep doing that because Benioff wants to keep growing the company at, right. at the expense of, um, being profitable, it's it's because one whenever you you know once you do reach okay we're a you know fifty billion dollar in revenue company now let's now let's let's dial that back a little bit the investment in sales and marketing and just start raking in the cash well, now for Amazon didn't it well and that's but that's the expectations built in it's like you've you've either got to keep growing at twenty five plus percent a year or you better start being more profitable. Sure, and so they, you know, Ben F clearly just wants to keep going, uh, revenue-wise, keep growing, and it's not—they're just not going to be able to sustain that organically, and so they're going to have to keep taking their shareholders' money, <laughs> buying and buying revenue with it. So that was, and I'm saying that's, that's obviously was not the only reason for this. I, I do think they're very much strategic for for the you know product strategy-wise. They probably sure. needed this. I don't again. I don't do enough in analytics to really know how much they needed this or not. Um, but they probably need it from a product strategy perspective, but also that revenue is going to help. <laughs> sure. Oh, so how does this affect Einstein analytics, John? Is it going to be like a Pardot and marketing cloud thing where you just kind of have both? You never know quite which one to use. And <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, so, so, well, the, so but I, had, I'm not sure about that because the fact no, that they, had, they didn't mention Einstein analytics do. at all. All makes me think you, we're never those. You're never going to see the words Einstein Analytics in any Salesforce presentation. No, you will. Or, or you will. In, I don't think so. I think it's I, gone. No, I think it is I, no, effectively immediately dead. Don't it's say it gone. again. It's it's not gone. Yeah. Okay. it's not gone. So so here's what's been happening with Einstein because it 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 had a it had a lot of trouble finding an audience. They were both MVPs. Now, I thought we we're supposed to get like advanced information on this, John. No, no. Not what, where where is this? Uh... Those days are gone. <laughs> are those they? days okay. are gone. There used to be like this cool club where you used to get all kinds of. You know, tidbits and nope. Yeah. Nope. Nope. You get a card on your birthday. Maybe there's a, some event. Yeah. You'll get some more stickers to hand out. Yeah. You know. Did you get your, um, did you get one of these like kits? I got my new MVP kit. I didn't even know that was what a thing. What was in your MVP up. kit? Um, a, um, like a satchel. <laughs> what do you call those? <laughs> a bag. <laughs> yeah. But it's like a, a carrier bag. Is that what it is? A carrier satchel? Oh, you got a carrier bag? I, I don't know what, I'm not sure actually. I, I just got a backpack. It's still this, in my no, closet. No, this is not a backpack. It's still in my closet. No, it's not a backpack. And then uh, I think it had some some other little swag items. I think you it. can put that on eBay and get make make quite a bit of money on yeah, it. Yeah, it's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so what was I saying? Oh, so I think I think Einstein still has a home. So they you, you've noticed that they've called you know they well, have I, sales I, cloud. I was talking about Einstein Analytics. Einstein Analytics still has a home. Okay. Yes. Okay. It you know you have the sales analytics, the Einstein Analytics for sales. You have Einstein Analytics for for support. You have Einstein, Einstein Analytics. I think. I think all the kind of higher level reporting and and dashboarding and and high volume data stuff will still exist within Einstein that pertains to Salesforce data. I think where Tableau is going to shine and where Tableau is going to kind of come into play is when you have a lot of external data sources that you want to a- analyze and mash the two together. I think that's where Tableau is going to going to play a bigger role. But I think Einstein is still going to exist as an analytics platform 
umbrella term for all of it, including Tableau. But I think Einstein, as it exists today, will continue to move more towards the clouds, meaning sales, um, marketing, um, support. But Tableau will be that that Power BI competitor that I just need to analyze a bunch of data. So we'll generate these dashboards. So you're saying Einstein Analytics, Einstein Analytics is now the kind of the lower end. It'll, it'll be less expensive. So I see Einstein Analytics being more for users, and I see Tableau being more for C level, V level people. What's V level? VPs. Oh, okay. Hmm. VPs and CE C level people. Okay, that's where Tableau will play, and the Einstein Analytics that exists as it exists today will continue to be for average users. Or for power users. Uh, tab, so Tableau all, already had some pretty decent integrations with Salesforce. Um, I, I, I mean, I expect that, and, and this is not hard to predict, but Tableau will obviously remain a perfectly usable standalone thing. So if you're a big Tableau customer and you're not a Salesforce customer, I think you're fine. This is not one of those, because Salesforce has bought things and then just killed them and, and buried them before. Oh, this is not one. This of is not one of those at all. No. no. I, I mean, they, Salesforce wants that. If nothing else, they need that revenue. So it's going to remain a standalone product. I suspect that it's kind of going to take the Heroku path, maybe a little bit more integration, but um, still perfectly standalone. We'll probably keep its own brand. It'll mm-hmm. probably, you know, but but they'll they'll continue making tighter integrations. Yeah, I, I think I think that's one thing that's important to mo- to know is that Heroku still has an opinion on what their platform is best at. MuleSoft also still has a perspective on what they're best at. I've been a lot, on a lot of calls where we go, we think we might need MuleSoft. And we talk to the MuleSoft guys and they go, here's where we're good at. Here's the, tell me what your requirements are. We'll tell you if we're good at this, if this is what our platform is for. Do they ever say, no, this is not MuleSoft? Yes. Wow. yes. That's, they, that's they, actually, are, they are really good. good about saying, nope, this is not a good fit. They obviously haven't integrated them into the Salesforce sales team yet. <laughs> so and, it must be separate. And I hope they never do. But, but you know, even when I went to the boot camp of, of MuleSoft, they were very clear on what their platform was for, what their target audience is. They knew that they were getting a larger audience with Salesforce in terms of just brand recognition and everything. But they also know what their platform is good at and what it's strong for and what its audience is. And they're keen to, to stick within that. And I'm hoping that Tableau will be a similar type of acquisition where they know where their strong points are, that's and a, they will continue to focus on that. That's pretty interesting. That makes sense because I think as a as a CRM salesperson, you can blow a lot of smoke up people's ass and and get away with it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But integration, I mean, if you are selling people based on misunderstanding and misinformation, and you're getting them to buy things they don't really need, that that's going to backfire. Yeah, and that's you know. You also have had a lot of success uh, before Salesforce bought them. Yeah. And they're on a nice growth traje- trajectory. And that wasn't because they were selling people crap they didn't need. Right. Now, it's not to say that they're trying to say no to deals, but they're trying to create a story to where they can provide value. So as long as they can tell a story where they have some kind of value to a customer, then they're going to go for it. But if if they can't, if the requirements just don't dictate that, they, that a customer needs this, it, it doesn't appear that they're going to go that route. Yeah. More, it just, it's going to be more trails and more certifications we can all get. I mean, is there someone who's like 30X or 40X certified yet? What's the highest number of X's you've seen? I'm 0X. There's a title right there. (laughs) I have zero. It doesn't make any sense now that I see that type. I have zero certifications. (laughs) I have zero trailhead. If you you were to interview for me a job and you you were solely looking at people who had certifications and trailheads, I would 
I would be immediately deleted. AI would go delete. <laughs> you wouldn't even see it show up in your list view. It would just be delete. Yeah. Has nothing. This is another reason why you have no business working for a consulting company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they let me go this long. <laughs> I, were they not pressuring you? Yes. Okay. I was going to say, I'm sorry. I would be surprised if that wasn't part of your employment agreement that you've got to get this many certifications by this amount of time. I think I had enough experience that they kind of grandfathered me into that. <laughs> Did they? But, uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of skirted the edge. So, so we've gone from what was that whiskey? Baker's. That whiskey hit me hard. And now, well, you now had a, you had a nice pour of that whiskey. This, this is going to be a drunk John episode. Yeah, I was going to say I wanted to just get to get people the context. And, and, so we went from Baker's well, whiskey. I had Baker's, nothing to eat. I've had a yeah. donut because I got donuts for my daughter's birthday, and I had cereal for lunch because I had maybe fifteen minutes between calls. I've been on the phone okay. all day. All right. So we so we started with Baker's whiskey, yeah, which you which you had a nice generous pour of, and now we're on to now this is a beer that it's not one of these rare. Th- I mean, it's kind of rare, but I mean, it's Sierra Nevada, so you most people are likely to be able to get this, at least in the United States, and it's uh, Sierra Nevada's Trip in the Woods, and I think these are different on every release. It's a different type of beer, but it, they're all they're always barrel aged. It's a series, but this one is their barrel aged beer de Guard. nine point eight percent. So we've gone from High proof whiskey to a ten percent beer, and, and this I, is a bomber I had, too. I had a bigger pour than you did. You, oh, you did. I probably had. That was about. That was like four fingers. That, <laughs> no, it was three fingers. <laughs> three fingers. I never go four. <laughs> I, I stick with three fingers. That's that's very four is rude. Polite. It's very polite of you. Yeah, yeah, four is rude. Four is rude. That's yeah. just come on, man. You're just pushing your luck cool. there. Not cool. All right. Well, what else we have to say about? I'm actually kind of excited in a way because I like Tableau. I've always, I mean, from the experience that I had with it, I thought it was slick and easy to use. And it's, um, it's interesting to see where Salesforce takes us. I mean, I mean, it it is kind of nice to. So, so when I'm consulting, and oh, no, there's you. You had one too. I know. Don't, I, had, I think I had me. two actually. <laughs> it's it, it's it's interesting when I'm on it because I'm I'm a techno architect and I'm supposed to talk about solution and design and options and things for for solutions. It is much easier to say, yes, Salesforce has an option for that. It's MuleSoft. When I don't have an option, it's harder because I have to say, okay, there are options out there. There are third-party applications that can do that. We'll have to go through the design review and this, this, and this, and this, this. When I have an option that is owned by Salesforce, I can just say, yeah, Salesforce has that. It's a MuleSoft. It's a separate license. Because it has to bother you a little bit, though. Talk to your AE about it. But yeah, it moves the conversation along because I'm not worried about that part. I'm trying to get them on Salesforce. I'm trying to get them implemented. I'm trying to get them all of their main requirements covered. All this other stuff tends to be for more of the higher level. You know, analytics tends to be for C-level people. Um, You know, integration tends to be, well, that's, that's, that's more real time for users, but again, it's a separate process that doesn't really have to impact the core implementation of a project. So the, the sooner I can get to, we have an option for that. Let's look at it. It's this, and focus the conversation on requirements versus there's options out there. There's a plethora. Let's just we'll have to pick and choose. We'll have to have meeting after meeting to decide which one it is, and we'll have to get design. We'll have to get security review and all this kind of stuff. Internal security review. It's much easier to say Salesforce has an option for that. It's MuleSoft. Or Salesforce has an option for that. It's Tableau. Or Salesforce has an answer for that. It's analytics. Yeah. You know. It, it, it's amazing how comforted people are by knowing that 
Salesforce can sell them more right. than crap they need. They pick this vendor and yeah. they have approval for that vendor, so it's easier for them. And and that that's that's true across the board. When you talk to about big enterprise, when big enterprise approves Salesforce as a platform, it's much easier to say we want to add this to our Salesforce instance. It's owned by Salesforce than it is to say we want to add this third party product. And now we need to get white papers. We need to get security review. We need to do all these steps and balances. White papers, and it takes oh yes, oh, just magic quadrants, magic John? quadrants. We need to see what they're out in the magic quadrant. We need to do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's it's a barrier to entry for sure. Not only for these products, for Tableau and MuleSoft, they now inherit Salesforce's kind of security review process. <laughs> what are you saying? Quadrant? Did I say quadrant? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, I'll own it. This is a drunk job. No, this is our celebration of uh, of your new of your new career in the product development business. It's good for the show, right? Because I'll yeah. have the ISV perspective. <laughs> I'll have the ISV perspective. Yeah, no, you will. And I actually, um, I, I don't want to pre-announce anything, but I did. I've actually, I'd like to do a an ISV slash like packaging show, mm-hmm. and I've already got agreement from someone who I, I won't announce their name yet <clears throat> because I want to. I do want to get a solidified dates agreed to first, but who knows? Who's had a lot of experience with that? Um, I think it'd be interesting. Although it would have been nice if there was if there were some Trailhead DX, you know, news that would have fed into that conversation, but there weren't. What really wasn't any. Really? Yeah, about packaging. That was like the big kind of miss. There was packaging. I just think they probably were in wherever they they were in, somewhere in their cycle that was not ready to discuss things yet. I, it happens. I pr- it happens. I prefer that over the marketing hype of something that's not ready for a year. Yeah. No, I agree. And we're just drooling at the mouth going. Although really last, like really in previous years, the, their announcements, when, even when they weren't ready yet, I mean, they made announcements that, of, of things that weren't going to be, were not even going into beta yet. And they told us about them. And it was nice to know, and there was no marketing people there that was hyping any of that stuff up at all. It was, and that was nice. But again, at some point, you're just not ready yet. And, that, and that's fine. I understand. Right. Um, one thing I was saying, I've been hearing and, and saying that's kind of interesting is this, all the stories about all these AEs as in account executives, right, at Salesforce, who have converted people onto on-site analytics from many places. But one of the main ones was Tableau. How many people have been converted from Tableau to on-site analytics? <laughs> that might have been more of a, a function of politics than anything. No, it's just, politics, just sales. It's just sell, sell. I mean, well, Einstein I, Analytics, you know, it's, Einstein, just, it's more licenses to sell. You know, you Einstein got, got, Analytics didn't help itself because you had this kind of power user license that would allow you to create, and then you had these user licenses that would allow you to view. Right, yeah. And it was just convoluted, and it was this immense extra cost that no one could provide. No one could tell a story of value of. Now, where it did have a lot of value is, you know, when you implemented Shield, and Shield leveraged Einstein Analytics for a lot of the monitoring tools and things like that. But really? They weren't no able to control access. So they so in your uh, contract agreement, it would say you're gonna get an- access to Einstein Analytics to do for your monitoring tools, but you're not allowed to use it for other things. We'll monitor it because they technically can't control you or stop you from from implementing it for other things. So there there was little nuances like that that I think Tableau is gonna fix for them. Okay. Where 
the technology itself couldn't couldn't really segment or or decide how you're using the data and block you from using it based on your license. So I'm so I'm thinking maybe Tableau also provides that for them as a, it being a separate platform. Yeah. I don't know. I just I want to think about the deal in general. Overall, I think, man, this was really, really expensive. And it concerns me a little bit itself because these, you know, Tableau and a lot of these companies right now, I mean, they're in this space where you're having to really overpay if you want to buy these companies. And I just it it worries me a little bit that Salesforce felt that they needed to go out and spend almost sixteen billion dollars to get Tableau. Because Does it, 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 yeah, I mean, because in, in a world where the revenue is n- that they produce is it's just not even. What do they say? It's going to add a couple hundred million a year or something like that to to their bottom to their top line. I mean, and and it's going to hurt their bottom line, right? It's going to yeah. drop. It's going to drop EPS by what was it, thirty or fifty or cents a share or something like that. I mean, well, it's, it's just it was a John. It was a huge huge price. No, I I agree. And, and I, either they either they were desperate for something, either product wise or revenue wise, or they're just they. Just think that even yeah you know, yeah that's how that's what these things cost nowadays. And this long term, this is actually going to be good for our business. I mean, it's probably some combination of both. But advantage is that that amount of money. Of course, it wasn't actually money. <laughs> that's the beautiful <laughs> part of this. It's just yeah. concerning, but because I mean, they put they pay sixteen billion dollars. I mean, Salesforce right now, what is their run rate right now? Are they a fifteen billion in revenue? Maybe something like that. It sounds about right. You would I mean, so it was basically I... there. And and in fact, I mean, if you look at sixteen billion dollars, I mean. If if you add up all the money that Salesforce has actually made in their entire lifespan, it doesn't come close to even being a probably a a a one percent of that. You know, they're spending more than their annual entire revenue on one company, and just it's like, okay, well, I I hope Tableau is that good because I'm my hunch is they're not. It's not. It was not that good. It was not worth that much money. And I just think we're in a we're in a climate right now, an M and A climate where you're really overpaying. And why couldn't they have bought Looker? Looker was only two billion. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> I bet those Looker guys were going. Well, damn, we should have held out for Salesforce. Exactly. We could have given them a much better deal than Tableau gave them. Well, maybe maybe Google has better negotiators. I don't know. <laughs> Salesforce. Well, is, <laughs> we are headed for a world of data. We are headed to to a world where there's just going to be true. more data than we can analyze. I just bought so a having these I just tools, bought a uh, eight gig hard drive for like I think it was two hundred dollars or something like yeah. that for my for my uh, Synology. I mean, there, there's more data than you can throw a stick at, whether it comes from from legitimate sources or unlegitimate sources. There's just a lot of data out there on on individuals, and there's just no good way of analyzing that without something like Tableau or Power BI or or, or whatever comes in the future. You need these tools that are focused on on analyzing and filtering that data and making sense of it. And so, from my perspective, it's it's a, it's a long term game. Yep. All right, John. We need to get to community topics. Um, yes, we do. Can we do that? Yeah, let's do that. It's a good time for that, I think. All right. Uh, let's let's go with our first one. This was this was a holdover from last week, so we definitely have to cover this one first. Do we have approval to use their name? No. This okay. One's anonymous. All right. Uh, I like the anonymous ones. Do you? Yeah, I think so. Because, well, first of all, I, I don't think I've. Is it unbiased your opinion? May, it might actually, because sometimes when it comes in from someone I know, I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I might have a more favorable, you know, viewpoint or whatever than if it's just someone I don't know, right? That's what, that's the great thing about the internet. You can be an asshole because it's all anonymous, right? <laughs> <laughs> I should encourage that. 
I feel like we're not getting enough honest feedback. I don't either. I want more honest feedback. I want, I'm going to, like, all the way around, like, not yeah. just, not, not just about the show, although about the show, but also, like, honest about everything. Yeah. And I mean, we're big boys. If, if we I mean, I don't, suck, if I sound like, no, a, let's be clear, like a tool, we're not, we're not, in, know. we're not encouraging like the typical internet assholery. Yeah. Not, not, not trolling for the sake of trolling, but right. Just, you got, but just like more, just raw, truthful, yeah. unbiased. Anyway. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get to the actual content at hand. I have to read while drunk. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> all right. So anonymous says, I really want to hear your opinion about something I asked, I was asked to do. I applied for a freelancing gig, Salesforce and JavaScript related. Part of the screening process requires applicants to solve a bunch of problems on a coding platform. The usual algorithm slash data structure questions. What's your opinion on using, uh, using that kind of code puzzles to measure someone's ability to code? I do not see much relevance on it, but it seems like the industry still cares about it. Well, so the the coding test interview, uh, the coding test and interview says have fallen out of favor. I, I think a lot of the big companies still do them, but they've definitely fallen out of favor. Um, I can tell you that I, I studied algorithms. So I can talk to you about binary and red black and all that stuff and uh, trees and different sorting algorithms. But very quickly, I start to have to just make shit up at some point because. I, you know, I haven't coded an algorithm in a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, what's important, at least for the type of work we do, I mean, unless you're building a, a, a collections framework, like your Josh Block or Anders Halsberg or uh, someone who works for Anders Halsberg, I mean, you don't, need to, you don't need to know how to code a sorting algorithm. What I do need you to know is when to use a hash map and when to use like a linked, uh, like a, you know, like a link thing, or, or, or the, the speed trade-offs between uh, an array list and link list and all these different things. You need to sure. understand those. Um, and does it maybe help a little bit to know how to code one of those up? Or that, I mean, it, listen, if you had to code, if you, like, if you went through computer science and you actually had to de- develop some of these things, you, you, did, you were forced to kind of learn the trade-offs. That, you know, the, in the, in like, we hope. I, and like, so if I, like big O notation. You, you familiar with big O notation? Yeah. Okay. So just knowing, like, is it is it O of n? Is it is it O of n plus? You know, what I mean, like, is it is it O of one? That'd be great, right? Because then yeah. it just it's it's uh, what's the word for it? Not static, but um, it's constant, constant, constant. time. Okay. Um, just knowing those things, I mean, listen, if I for the type of work we do, if someone understood at that level, um, and and even just the the types of well, the types of structures, like, I mean, you're getting kind of advanced when you say big. No, 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 no. In, I, in I, no, no, no. I think world. every time, well, first of all, in the Salesforce, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice of the implementation of a map or the choice of your implementation of lists. It's right. just, and I know what the implementations are. I mean, their map is a hash map. Their list is a, is a it's it's a linked list. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then so you understand, like, if I'm going to insert something in the middle of this list or at the end of the list or the, list, or the beginning of the list, this list, you know, and, and if you understand hashing buckets and things like that, you start to understand performance. And sometimes, it, you know, the truth is usually, and again, in our kind of work that we're doing, I'll talk about, you know, being a sales for it. And, and oh, how do you say this? A, not a declarative developer, a programmatic <laughs> developer. What are we called, John? Code monkeys. Well, the, the flip um, side is citizen developers. I don't know. Coders, I think we're uh, referred co- to as yeah, coders. coders. Okay. Um, you know, you can't, you get what you get. And you don't throw a fit in the Salesforce world. <laughs> 
but you still need to understand if you've got a big list and you want to insert something in the middle of it, what does that mean? Or if you've got, you know, it unders- it helps to understand what kind of implementation is being used so you know how to use it, you know what the trade-offs are. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, most of the time that doesn't matter. But the reason I like to hire really good people is because I'm not optimizing for the most of the times. I'm optimizing optimizing for when we're really in the trenches on a difficult project and we've got a certain timeline and a certain budget and it's a and it's I you know and and like we need to do really smart things to be able to get to the finish line on this project. And I don't have time to to be going back and fixing all these problems because this person just really didn't understand the performance implications of what they were doing. Right. That's, and that's, so that's, that's where a, it matters. That's an interesting way of putting it, the most of the time versus the crunch time. And it's like who do you want to be? I always like this the, the, I like the analogy and I know it's violent, but like who do you want to be in the foxhole with? Yeah. And it's, I, I choose you. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, it's again, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's someone who, who understands these things enough. You don't want someone who, I have to avoid actually people who nerd out too much also. That's the, that's the, that's the, people can take it too far. I, I think yeah, they'll spend I, like, they'll spend too much, they'll, you know, you'll give them, uh, uh, hey, go, you know, you got a week, go build this, go build this thing for this client. And, you know, they spent the week like coding up their own custom implementation of a list. I'm like, no, that's not what I wanted. And it plus, besides, there was no need for that. There was no need. Like, why did you nerd out so hard on this? Yeah. Um, and that's just also just having some business sense too. Like, you know, it's not just about, it's not just about coding problems. It's also in our, again, in our business, it's, it's, I need people with business sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm not saying you have to be an MBA or you have to be able to, you know, do uh you know, some of the, some of the digits, freaking depreciations on the back on, you know, in your head, but understanding but like, you know, you're coming at it from a, from a perspective of you have limited resources on your end. And so anyone you bring on has to be top notch. And that's what you're looking for is that top notch player. I'm looking for top notch. They're, they're, I'm sorry, but the Salesforce market for developers, good developers, good architects in general it's tough. It is. You're not going to find someone. So it's tough because Salesforce is still growing and, and there's a little bit of a supply and demand problem. But, but there's that's okay because Trailhead's going to solve it. There's a ton time. of admins and there's a ton of entry-level developers, but they don't have the no, chops to take no. on a project and instill confidence in that project as, as a solo person or as someone who's leading the charge. Yep. They are worker bees. They have to be told exactly what to do. And I'm not trying to be mean or anything about it, but there are definitely people out there who, who are awesome. They're great at developing. They they can do the task, but they need to be told what that task is and what the miles, what the keyframes of that task are. Mm, yeah. And you will get the best results out of them. But if you give them a sentence of a requirement and ask them to build it, you might not get what you want. Oh, you, now, you, you might have you might have given them an impossible task too if you just gave them a sentence well, and said, Sure, yeah, but yeah. there there are higher level individuals who right. can take that that well, sentence and extrapolate from it and build on it. The key is like I would love to be able to say, okay, go build this thing, give them that sentence, mm-hmm. and they're coming back to me with the right questions. Exactly. But that's a higher level individual. And that's actually that's a tall order. The, the, again, this is why I always say people don't believe me. There, and there's a book, there's a great book. Um I you bought it a couple months ago. Um hiring What's it? it? It sounds cheesy, and it, it's a business because it's something about hiring A players. Let's put it. Let's bang it up to put it in the show notes, John. I think it's called something about hiring A players. Okay, and it's it's not necessarily just about high. It, the guy does a really good job of just explaining why that's so important, and it 
totally honest, like I, this book was nothing but confirmation bias for me. I loved it because it <laughs> reinforced everything I already believe. It's the best kind. But it, all, but he also made really rational arguments for it too. Um, and and he, I think this guy was also for kind of from the consulting space, and that you just you don't have time, you don't have time to mess with subpar people. Um, now that's not to say that you don't hire junior people, and that's that whole mix between senior and junior is a whole other conversation because you do have to have that mix. And depending on whether you're just starting out or whether you're this big established company like that, it's a different mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always, I feel, I always say I'm looking for the top ten percent. Always, that's what I want. Top ten percent. The top ten percent, and, and honestly, always make for you what, money for, though, because and I'm in the, the top ten percent is is very expensive. They so are expensive. Not make no, money that way. No, they are expensive. You can make money if you know how to run your business right. And you will, del- because you will deliver more value, you will have better success rate, you will have a better reputation, you'll have better relationships with your clients, you have a more um, repeat business, and your clients won't really care what your rate is. Hopefully, they don't even know what your rate is, um, which is partly how you get around some of this. Mm-hmm. You're thinking more about what you're delivering for them versus what's costing them, not, not, a match, not so much about how many hours it took you to do something that a truth that once they realize that doesn't well, it, actually it, doesn't matter it's value pricing Pe- people care about people on. care about your hourly rate when they don't trust you at all right <clears throat> and so yes good people are more expensive because they know they're good and the market tells them they're good and you know and I I like to pay people I can't always pay people what I want to pay them but I'd like to pay them what they're worth but I also like to incorporate them into the business in such a way that the client is also appreciating that value right so that it's make so that financially it's making sense for everyone involved sure it's hard i mean i make it sound easy it's not easy it's hard (laughs) (laughs) so i could if i could play devil's advocate here if you interview for a company that's reliant on those type of coding tests so to speak or puzzles or whatever you want to call them is that a red flag to you i mean it's i don't know if it's bad to be reliant because you need to know how you need to know what someone's skills are. I, I think that's the point of those exercises is trying to gauge what their skills they just, are. They've just fallen out of favor. They're, they're not cool right now. That's for sure. I don't know whether they're wrong. I'm not going to say they're wrong, but they're definitely not considered like, uh, I don't know. I mean, because, you know, famously, like well, Google has backed down, you know, because Google had some of the craziest interviews, right? And they've really done a 180 on that, supposedly. Hmm. I mean, I can tell you the few times that I've taken those tests, they're very text driven. And I'm used to working in, in an IDE where I have autocomplete and things like yeah, that. No, the it's ones not, I've done have been in text editors. Yeah. So it's 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 not, in my opinion, it's not a good gauge of my skill set because it's not so much that Cause I you, have. Because you need to hit dot and have the IDE tell you what to do next. Well, no, it's not so much that. It's just that I don't I don't put a lot of effort into memorizing every function, every method that, that's available to me. I just know what I need to build. And I understand that there's there is a native mechanism for that or I need to custom build something like that. And I do rely on the dot for but the these, naming these conventions. These coding tests are they they usually never involve um, like like frameworks that a, that some platform might provide anything else. They're usually extremely simple. They're right. you're dealing with. I mean, the only thing you're dealing with from the system or from the framework may be like a collection library or something. Right. You're, I mean, you're dealing with it's basic, but it's it's algorithmic type stuff. It's it's hey, um, here's this word, or, or how would you um, reverse the orders of these letters or, or, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly, a lot of it's basic stuff. It's kind of algorithmic type stuff. Yeah. And you're not, you're not doing like a system dot net dot HTTP connection. No, open. And, you're not and, doing any of that kind of stuff. And, and you shouldn't be. If so, <laughs> well, then 
Yeah, so then yeah. that I, then I would really question that interview. Yeah, actually. and I've been I've been in those. It, they, they weren't just well, trying to you, figure out algorithms or, or why. You, dude, you should see the way the most common way I see people interviewing still to this day. But I've this is hilarious. I've seen this going on for so long for Salesforce developers. Is um, <laughs> I remember this. I won't name any names, but this is a, a consulting company that you and I are both very familiar with. And the test was, could you write some code, and it had to use the API. To make some change in Salesforce so that they could, the person interviewing could, you know, hit F5 and refresh and see that you'd made a change via the API somehow. That was the test. Hmm. Can I, can I tell you that I failed my first dev certification test? Sure, you can tell me that. That's fine. <laughs> and you want to know why? Because some of the questions were like that. Can you do this? And I was like, sure, I can make it do that. I can right. just code an algorithm that does this, or I can code an automation that does this. But that wasn't the point of the question. The point of the question, because it was dev one, it was specific to point and click operations. Oh, yeah. Well, that in my head, no, yeah. I went, sure, I can do that. But it wasn't until I realized after I failed that I was like, okay, code bad, John, code bad. These have to be very specific yes. to what point and click operations can do yep. that I was able to pass code that, bad, that original click test. Good. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but I did. Yeah, for, I, I failed my. my Dev one along however many number of years ago, first time failed it. Yeah, and it was questions like that that got me. Yeah, I mean, you just, I mean, so your your original question was, is that a red flag? It's not necessarily a red flag. It depends on how what they're trying to get at you, get about you. I mean, the, the the one way it's a red flag, at least for the company doing the hiring, is I mean, it's very easy to to have what is it like type two errors actually, where you you actually have a good candidate but you reject them because. You gave them a test that was not reasonable, or that people aren't good at that kind of test, but that doesn't mean they're not great. That, that kind of that kind of develop, you know, because I'm looking for that kind of developer that, you know, they 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 understand enough about, again, all the all the computer sciencey kind of software engineering stuff, but they but they also like know how to get shit done. I don't want people who are I call them grinders because yeah. I work for the people too who just get amazing amounts of shit done, but they also create so much technical debt. And, and they're grinders, that. right? You give them a task and they're go, go, go. But you ask them to think and they go, 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 but they make the wrong decisions because they're go, go, go. Yeah. And it's like, no, right. So there's some balance between people who right. nerd out too much and people who are grinders. It's something in between where, you know, they've, they've got some, they've got some computer engineering, some software engineering chops. They, you know, they're making good enough decisions on what implementations of collections to use and, and security things. I mean, there's just, there's some, I mean, I, I feel like I want to make this master list. I always talk, talk about this, but like I want this master list of all the skills that are actually needed by like someone in our business nowadays. Cause it's, it's honestly like a daunting list of what I expect of myself and of, and of other people. Do you ever, do you ever factor in nerves in your process? Yeah. I mean, I would think so. If I could tell someone's really nervous, I would, I would, the first thing I would try to do is just try to like say, Hey, but you get that perspective from an from a one on one interaction. If if you're basing your selection criteria solely on video interviews or coding exercises that are done offline, you don't get that perspective. You don't get to see how nervous or how yeah. I mean, so, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to tell. I mean, you can tell it by someone's voice sometimes if you're not with them. But I don't mean that. I think I disqualified myself from. Oh, well, I did that video interview because they asked. I was implying or applying for a techno architect role, but they were asking me a bunch of basic admin questions, something that I don't do a lot of. You know, I can I can tell you how systems integrate. I can understand the the code. I can understand the logic. I can I can understand the security permissions along with that. But 
I don't know, ask me something mundane like a like a an email template or a master child relationship that I'm just like not something like a touching cur- currency or something or right, like one something of these things that I'm not are like touching every day like, that I'm like, like no, I don't remember that. Like, I, I would just go look up I would go look it up when I need to do exactly. it. Exactly. You know, make you know, those kind yeah, of things. Yeah, but they, yeah. they're expecting me to have but that memorized. But so, I'm like so that's a red that's kind of interviewing is a red yeah. flag where they're trying to they're just doing gotcha stuff. Yeah. Because there's the things that you want people just to innately have skills on, and there's the things that you don't want people to waste brain space on. Like you just go to you go reference that stuff. Like yeah, like I I'm never I've never been good at like memorizing APIs. I mean I'll, I'll memorize like the most common things I use, but other than that, I mean I'm just I'm, again nowadays like with IDs you just hit dot and you see what's available, or you, or right. you just you look at the docs. I mean I don't, I don't memorize APIs. Right. I mean I, what I want to memorize is concepts. And I, I think that's the point I'm trying to make is that people are trying to derive your capabilities based on what you have memorized versus understanding the concepts that you understand. Yeah. Um, are we still on a community question here? We're back. And to did move we on answer it? What was what was I, the, I think we answered it. What was the question? I've completely forgotten already. Uh, let's see. The usual algorithm. Uh, let's see. What's your opinion on using the kind of code puzzles to measure someone's ability to code? Okay. That so we, I think question. I think we we beat sufficiently one covered that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> That one's been turned to pulp. <laughs> <laughs> Antimatter. Uh, this one's an interesting question. This also comes from the community. This one, uh, we are allowed to use this name. This one comes from Leo Alves. I hope I'm saying that right. I believe it's I'm going to say Alves. 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 Okay. I'm assuming it's, it sounds Spanish to me. Maybe, but I hate to assume. So I'm just going to say it like a. Could be French, actually, because it ends with S, not, I don't know. Alve? Yeah, exactly. If it's fair. Or maybe even Alve, if it's French, if there's because there's no there's no accent on the E, so it could very well could be Alve. Mm. But I'm gonna say Alves. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna guess Spanish and Alves. All right. So there's actually two questions in this, but uh, the first one I thought was pretty interesting. Not to, anyways. <laughs> that was an awkward John. <laughs> I know it was. <laughs> there's a lot going on in my head right now. If you were to stop doing Salesforce and money was wasn't a concern, is there a technology you would like to focus on? I'll let you go first, if, and then I'll What go was second. the first part about Salesforce? If you were to stop doing Salesforce and money wasn't a concern, is there a technology you would like to focus on? So I've been, um, I don't know, that's a good question. The, the data space continues to fascinate me, number one, because there's a lot of cool stuff going on in it. And what I mean by data is like um, moving large volumes of data mm-hmm. a lot, and then the analysis, the routing and transforming and just goes back to just the the volumes of data they're being produced but how do you how do you handle how do you deal with that um and i think that's interesting to me partly because it's a valid and expensive problem that people are paying a lot of money for to fix and it's also something i happen to be i think a little bit it's like probably one of my it's like a a, a stronger point for me Mm -hmm. um and also i've I've been enjoying it so yeah i'm actually like committing things into certain Apache data projects and that that's yeah. I'm having fun nerding out on that fixing fixing bugs and whatever um, so right now that'd be my answer I think hmm. that's pretty you good ask me next week I'll probably give you a different answer but I have an answer and this comes from way back when <laughs> okay <laughs> and that is I would love to focus on game enemy AI okay oh that sounds fun so when Game I was a kid enemy and AI. I was playing little Nintendo games, I would swear up and down that the damn computer was cheating, that the damn game system was cheating because I would do something and it would counter it. And I just thought, that's not that's not fair. 
hard level difficulty is it knows what buttons I press and it just counters it instantly. Yeah. But the reality that's is, not even, yeah, that's just it well, computes. But that's not the reality do. of it. The reality is, it was nothing more than a, a program pattern in the game, and it would just kind of do that pattern over mm-hmm. and over. Now it may switch and alter the pattern based on your movements, but that was that was more higher level AI than it was early in like Nintendo days, maybe SNES days, definitely sixty four days. But that's always fascinated fascinated me is how AI works. Does is it pattern based, which usually it is. Or is it actually learning and manipulating its patterns? But ultimately, I think it still comes down to a pattern that it introduces. It's not technically artificial intelligence where it's thinking for itself and deriving new algorithms. Um, so that's a space where I think I would love to focus on because it's just something I remember from my childhood. I blamed the computer when it was just a pattern. Is <laughs> Einstein, E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N? E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N? Uh, maybe. Is my answer. So we got a part two of this question while you're typing, clacking, so we have no dead air. Yep. Uh, Second part of this question is, many people I know become freelance contractors after a period period as full-time employees. I don't know how many people have moved back to full-time employment after experiencing the the freelance life. Uh, What is your motivation to go back to full-time work? Uh, Do you miss being a freelancer? So I was freelance in some way or another for the past 18 years and six months ago as of six months ago i have a full-time job like with a with a corporation that i'm not the only owner of mm-hmm. we still have quite a bit of say though as part owner right um yeah i am i am a or a I'm percentage a, a, owner i am a stakeholder in the company stakeholder. There you john go. that's yes. the right word <laughs> There you go. Stakeholder. Yeah, I'm a stakeholder, but it's it's a totally different thing. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's a company where, you know, I'm not yeah, I don't have I could be fired. Yeah. That's the first time I could have been fired in eighteen years. <laughs> <laughs> How's that feel? It's fine. I mean, fine. I don't yeah. I mean it's it's interesting because it's it's a it's a it's a level of control that I don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's Which all, you didn't used to think you were you're fit for. You, I, I remember you saying you just I cannot be an employee. I'm almost unemployable. But I found, yeah. but I found someone who would actually employ me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, crap! I better take this now. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. What's it? I mean, you've you've done this too, John. You've kind of gone back it. and forth. I miss it a lot. But what I don't miss is what really screwed me. I think was. As you get busy with a project, it's lining up your next project. That it's was always so, hard. Dude. Because you're so focused on your current yeah. project, you can't really focus on on lining up your next project. And that's really tough. It is tough. And be, I mean, being true freelance, like a literally just a one-man show, mm-hmm. is very hard. Because and, how do you go between, you know, coding up stuff and just having being, you know, your head down in code for a bunch of time? And then, like, also, like... Managing your, your email list and and doing presentations at local user groups and and all this marketing stuff you're trying to do. I mean, it's just it's and also like doing your books and your mm-hmm. stupid nine forty one all your re- employment reports without so you don't get like stupid penalties and stuff that are very very expensive. Oh yeah. yes, it's it is. <laughs> I mean, you it can be done, and if you do it well, I mean, there's, there are guys who make. 
a lot of money mm-hmm. just being completely freelancers. I mean, yeah. I'm talking I'm talking half a million a year easily. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah. Um but is it for you? I don't know. It's that's you you have to you have to it's you have, you have to have an honest an honest conversation with yourself, John. <laughs> so I think I think another aspect that affected me was there was no way to scale. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. You either charge more money, in which case you have a harder time finding clients, or you just work less. And there was really no way to scale. You figure out ways to inc- if you want to make money, you figure out ways to increase your value, right? Which necessarily gets away from hourly billing, right? That's for sure. So, so scaling that type of operation was really difficult. I'm only one person. I only have so many hours in the day. I worked a lot of hours, but I made good money. But I worked a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was 10, 12 hour yeah, days. Yeah, sometimes more. And 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 it's tough. I mean, you have to have a really strong. Is it constitution the right word? I mean, work ethic, something like that. Oh, for sure, work ethic. But you also have to be able to deal with. You know, really, really scary points. Yeah, and and you, it's about you're by yourself, so you don't have anyone to support you and to be like, "Hey, I got your back, and we're in this together." No, you're not. No, you're not in it together with anyone. You're by yourself. Yeah, it's all you. You better figure out everything and deal with everything yourself. And that can be scary. I mean, and maybe it's just every once in a while you get that feeling, but when you get it, it's serious. Yeah. I would say the last thing that affected me, and I don't really want to get too much into it. I have it. no idea what's going on in the live channel at this point, by the way. Oh. They, they are so checked out. It's ridiculous. Oh, they're, no. they're listening. To, I think they're listening to a different podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a cat? Is I mean, just scroll up and like all these. I don't know oh, what's my gosh. Going on. All right. So I'll say the last point that I want to make, and that is politics. Um, but you're not before, allowed to do politics, John. If no, I'm I, not allowed to, you're not allowed to. I'm just going to gonna say, I don't want to get into it, but I want to say that the, the healthcare stuff that happened in the US really affected me. Oh, it me drove too. up yeah, costs yeah. of health of healthcare, which really hurt me immensely. But it took, it away, wasn't my, that it I took could, away my access to healthcare. It, it did. It, it it took away the access. It made but John, it was reasonable health it was the Affordable Care Act. I know. It made reasonable healthcare for someone like <laughs> me and my family unobtainable. Yeah. I had to really make some serious concessions <laughs> in order to have health care, which meant I basically didn't have health care. Um, so it was it was the last nail in the coffin. Aside from the scaling aspect of it and everything else, it really took that last bit of money that I could put into my buffer because that's really important when you're independent. Yep, is you you make a lot of money, but you have to put that into your buffer yep. because you might not have a project for two months. You might have a project for another six months. So you have to have that buffer in order to survive and make it to your next project. Are you laughing at the chat again? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I'm distracting you. Anyways, that's my last point. Yeah, it. that's a good point. And gosh, I thought I felt like I made it a, wanted to make another point too, but I forgot what it was. Anyway, okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Leo, for those for those for yeah. those. Uh, yeah, that was good. I mean, topics. It's and, funny because uh, you can ask a you know a one sentence question that sparks a thirty minute conversation, sure. which is great. And you know what? I know that there are people listening right now who have these questions. They're like, eh, I'm not going to send it in. I, you know, they don't want to read my question. No, send it in. Yeah. Send your question in. Info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Your question, your feedback, whatever. Um, if you want us to use it on the show, we might. We usually do. We almost always do, right? Sure. I mean, Some pickings, right? I think the, we always try to. We'll always try to uh, get it on the show. Um, the only time we don't is if it's like we get the, you know, hey, uh, I'm rep, you know, I'm representing uh, this guy, CEO, and he, he, you know, he'd be great on your show. I, you know, no, no, we don't do those. <laughs> um, 
but all, all of the all of the sincere, legit members of the community, uh, we more than happy to try to get your content on the show. And we, uh, of course, the, we have to mention this every once in a while. The the rule is, if you don't give us explicit permission to use your name, we we will not use it. So you have to explicitly say, hey, it's okay to use my name. Or else we won't, because we want to just make sure we're protecting people's confidentiality. Um, but yeah, shoot us an email. We we love getting them. Um, and if you want more Drunk John episodes, just send whiskey. I'll that's drink true. it all. That's true. We do have... Oh, I forgot the beer again. I told you I forgot. I forgot the... The other beer I was going to bring, because mm-hmm. this was in the house, the, the beer I meant to bring was given to us when I was in San Francisco, and it's in the garage fridge, and by the time I got out to the garage, I'm like so worried about traffic, and I just completely <laughs> forgot. So maybe next week. You next gotta, week. You need, to, you need to like text me like Tuesday night and say, hey, dude, put the beer in your trunk. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to remember that. I have a final question. Sure. And this is also to, and I don't think we have any uh, listeners in India, if you look at our... I don't know if Indians just don't listen to podcasts or because I know there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of uh, Salesforce developers in India, right? I thought our stats showed that we had some, but surely not enough for the population. I mean, because you had this, right? Hyderabad! Okay. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and so, but yeah, I, I don't think they like our podcast. I don't know why. But... <laughs> The reason I ask is because I may um, I may be traveling to India soon, and the reason is because there's a couple of uh, classes I need to take Salesforce classes, and here they're about like they're like four grand, and in India they're like seven hundred dollars. <laughs> yep. So that sounds like TA level classes. Are you going? No, it's it? not even. No, not really? at all. Oh no, no. Okay. No, no. Okay. I have. I simply do not have the ambition or time or energy or money to do the whole uh, path to CTA thing. Sure you do. I do not. You are an MVP. Most of that is covered, except for that final exam. Uh, uh, no. Or final board level certification part. Not happening, John. Make um, use of it. Do it. But anyway, no, I, so I, I may need to uh, have a meetup or, or get someone to, I guess I've never been to India. To, to, and I don't even know where they do those classes. Do you know? Is it... Don't know. Well, obviously, Salesforce has a big office in Hyderabad, Hyderabad but they also talked. They also announced. Um, I felt. I felt like a new kind of large India office they're going to be building, and it was not Hyderabad; it was somewhere else. Hmm. Don't know. But anyway, yeah, the whole. Um, I mean, why are classes you know ten times five, ten times cheaper in India? Because there's more people. It's a, it's it's spreading a, the cost around. Volume, yeah. Volume. <laughs> uh, they do. They got like a couple billion. I mean, we're still yeah. like the three hundred million mark. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> They can spread their costs around. Yeah, they can. <laughs> can I say something disappointing? If I hadn't, if I wasn't leaving my current company, there was potentially a trip for me to go to the UK for a week. And like in July. That would have been good because the yeah. UK is expensive to go to. Yeah. In fact, I mean, UK is, it's on, I want to, I've never been to the UK. I would like to visit there. It's just when no, I, I want to, so it's when like I, on my bucket list because I want to go to 221B Baker Street. I know it's a tourist attraction. <laughs> it doesn't officially really exist, but they made it exist for tourism. Tourism, but I want to be that tourist that goes to two two one B Baker Street. So just just because of cost, like value reasons, like I, I'll I mean like Spain is for example, just an example. Spain is higher on my list right now than the UK is because you can just travel so much more. You can get so much oh, more done in Spain for the they money. They have that big and carousel thingy. What's it called? Where? The oh, big, in London. Yeah. I don't know. How can you not want to sit there and? I, I didn't say I didn't want to. Just it's just the cost. What's the, what do they call it? It's a QPR, the quality price ratio. That's a wine <laughs> thing. 
Um, okay, John. What else? I got to pee. Yeah, and we got to eat too, so. And to All that, right. I say, <laughs> let's wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, I'm wrapped up. I'm, you, I see you finished your, yeah, you, you really went through those. It was a stressful day. And they're going through you too, right? <laughs> it's a stressful day, and I have to get through this, and we have to have dinner, and then I got to work tonight. I got to right. rally. I got to rally. Okay. Well, everyone, if you're not in our Slack, come join us in our Slack. Just visit our website, gooddaysirpodcast.com, and go to community and follow instructions. Uh, we get info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. We always love getting content, feedback, questions. What else? Share us. Uh, reviews, if you can. We'd love to see a review come through. Yeah. Yep. I did not forget the beer. I'm not sure what people are talking about. Anyway. All right, John. Well, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>